all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. From MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedy for Women, the show all about addressing issues of health and wellness from a woman's perspective. I'm Karen Brown with Dr. Michelle Owens, specialist in maternal fetal medicine and OBGYN at UMMC, and surgical pathologist Dr. Allie Brown. Today's topic is a serious one. It's lung cancer. It is the leading cause of cancer death among men and women. And here to provide information and answer your questions is Dr. Joe Pressler, a pulmonologist at UMMC. If you have questions or comments, the number to call is 1-877-MPB-RING, 1-877-672-7464, or send an email to women at mpbonline.org. We will be back with Southern Remedy for Women right after news from NPR on MPB Think Radio. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Lakshmi Singh. The evacuation of thousands of civilians out of eastern Aleppo is at a standstill. NPR's Allison Muse reports on the conflicting explanations surrounding the Syrian government's decision to again prevent people from escaping the besieged area. WHO Representative Elizabeth Hoff says her staff were told to leave the evacuation point without explanation. Syria's state news agency, Sana, blames rebels for breaching the agreement. They say rebels tried to smuggle heavy weapons and hostages with them in the buses. Media run by Syria's ally, Hezbollah, reported a separate complication, that protesters had blocked the buses, demanding a similar evacuation for two northern villages besieged by rebels. Until now, the Red Cross and the Red Crescent have evacuated thousands of people from eastern Aleppo. A Red Cross spokesman tells NPR there are thousands more, including wounded, still trapped, and waiting. Alison Muse, NPR News, Beirut. President-elect Donald Trump is again pushing back against White House accusations that Russian President Vladimir Putin was directly involved in cyber attacks to influence the U.S. presidential election in his favor. He went on Twitter this morning accusing Democrats of illegally helping Hillary Clinton in the run-up to the election and that being exposed in a leak. Referencing the CIA's recent assessment, President Obama told NPR that he believed the Russian government interfered in the election and he vowed to fight back. In his exchange with Morning Edition host Steve Inskeep, Mr. Obama was asked if he believed the hacks changed the election. He said it helped create an atmosphere where the media focused on emails and political gossip. In that scrum, in that swirl, uh, you know, Donald Trump and his celebrity and uh, his ability to garner attention and obviously tap into uh, a lot of the anxieties and fears that some voters have, I think, definitely made a difference. President Obama speaking with NPR's Morning Edition. The Department of Health and Human Services is extending open enrollment for Obamacare health plans. 
NPR's Allison Kojak reports that consumers now have through Monday to choose a policy. HHS says so many people were contacting its call centers and trying to sign up for plans last night that it decided to extend the enrollment period for four days. Now consumers who want to buy insurance that goes into effect January 1st have until midnight Monday to enroll. More than 4 million people had chosen plans as of last week, and the agency says almost a million more have left their names at the call center in hopes of signing up. Allison Kojak, NPR News, Washington. At last check on Wall Street, the Dow was up 27 points at 19,879. S&P lifted a fraction at 2262. The Nasdaq is off five points. This is NPR News. The frigid temperatures taking hold of the northeastern U.S. reportedly are linked to at least one death in upstate New York. The Associated Press reporting that authorities found the body of a woman in a Syracuse Creek. She apparently crashed her vehicle during a blizzard. More fatalities have been reported in the Oklahoma City area. Authorities there say three people were killed in separate collisions. More than 100 accidents were reported as the roads became more slippery. The collisions included an eight-vehicle pileup, according to the Oklahoma City Fire Department. Pope Francis has intervened personally in an attempt to finalize a deal ending Latin America's longest-running conflict. NPR's Silvia Pajoli reports the pontiff met at the Vatican with the Colombian president and the harshest critic of a peace deal that would end a 52-year war. Colombian President Juan Manuel Santos had been scheduled to meet with the Pope as part of a European tour after picking up this year's Nobel Peace Prize in Oslo. The Vatican, however, also invited right-wing senator and former president Alvaro Uribe. Uribe argues that a peace deal Santos signed with Marxist rebels known as FARC is too generous by sparing their commanders time in jail and rewarding them with seats in Congress. Uribe's campaign against the deal resulted in its rejection in an October referendum. The Vatican distributed a photo of the three men in the Pope's study, but there's no guarantee Pope Francis can convince the two politicians to reach agreement on a peace deal. Sylvia Poggioli, NPR News, Rome. U.S. stocks are mostly higher. The Dow up 30 at 19,882. This is NPR. Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include Visiting Angels, Professional caregivers assisting adults at home in bathing, dressing, meals, and light housework nationwide. Visiting Angels, America's choice in senior home care. Learn more at 1-800-365-4189. Catch up on past episodes and hear any of the MPB programs you've missed on the MPB Public Radio app. Available on iTunes and Google Play. Listen live to MPB Think Radio and MPB Music Radio. Search MPB Public Radio. This is Mississippi Public Broadcasting. I'm Terry Gross. Listen to Fresh Air weekdays at 3 on MPB Think Radio. You're listening to Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. We're glad to take your calls at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email your comments and questions to women at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Good morning, and thanks for joining us on Southern Remedy for Women, the show all about addressing issues of health 
and wellness from a woman's perspective. I'm Karen Brown here with Dr. Michelle Owens, who's a specialist in maternal fetal medicine and OBGYN at UMMC and surgical pathologist, Dr. Allie Brown. Now today's topic gets a pretty serious one. It's lung cancer. It is the leading cause of cancer death among men and women. So obviously a very serious topic. We have with us Dr. Joe Pressler. He is a pulmonologist at UMMC. We are going to answer your questions and provide lots of information. If you want to call in, the number is 1-877-MPB-RING, 1-877-672-7464, or send an email to women at mpbonline.org. Before we get to that topic, Dr. Michelle Owens has something off topic that you want to talk about. Absolutely. Good morning, first of all. Good morning. Hey, Good morning. Hey, hey. Um, and I'm so glad that, that Joe's here with us, but I did want to kind of take a little moment of privilege here but. and segue. But. Yeah, but. Thanks, Michelle. Good morning. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, but this is, a, this is something that kind of has been ruminating in my mind over the past couple of weeks. Um, so as you know, last week I was in Dallas, and before that we had done a little show talking about um, how to be healthier in the new year and kind of talked about some things and one of the things that has just kind of I think I've thought over uh, about more and more is just this concept of how during this time of year it can for many people be very um, sad and very isolating and not as festive and jovial as this season typically is thought to be and um, I say that because in my own family I've experienced loss Um, People close to me very recently have lost loved ones. And for many people, you know, it's not even just when you lose somebody, but it's the moving on after you've experienced loss that can be difficult. Um, And I'm going to try to hold it together here. Um, But I think, you know, that that first Christmas without that significant person, it's the series of firsts after loss that can also be very difficult. And so I just recognize that many people who are out in our listening audience um, may not look upon this time with the same level of, you know, joy and excitement that many people do. And um, I think this kind of came home to me because we had talked about how suicide rates kind of go up during this time and, and depression is, is really common and, and it sometimes becomes worse during the holidays. And so I I visited Dallas and when I was in Dallas, um, there was this story in the news where this young girl who was 16 years old had committed suicide and she had had, uh, they had funeralized her, I think on that Saturday and that Monday her father was found dead in his car. He's a prominent attorney in town. If you Google it, you could probably very easily find it out. My heart goes out to that family. But, and, and it's not to say that he wouldn't have died of a heart attack before, but the, the information that was out there from this father's grieving process after his daughter had taken his life was so moving and stirring. And the family released a statement after he died, and they said that his heart just wasn't strong enough to take it. And I don't believe that. I think sometimes when we experience difficulties that we can sometimes become so overcome with the moment that we can forget about the impact that it has on the people that we leave behind. And it was just so pure and so heart-wrenching to see this family who now deals with double tragedies that I just thought that it was important for people out there who might be feeling isolated or who feel alone 
to know that you matter to somebody. Heck, you matter to me because I felt the need to say this. I've been thinking about this for a long time. And that no matter how bad your situation may be or how bad you may feel, that there's somebody somewhere who would give everything they have to be able to be where you are. And as long as you're willing to get up and start over a different day and face another day, that you have a new opportunity to get it right, to do it better, to be better, uh, an opportunity for things to change. Um, And I I also want to encourage people who are out there. We all know people who are somewhat isolated and somewhat withdrawn or who you don't see very much. And I just would encourage you, not just this time of year, but throughout the course of the year, to just reach out to someone else. You never know when a kind word might mean everything. And you also never know when that act of kindness might be the last act of kindness that either you yourself may get to give or that that person may have the opportunity to receive. And I just, for some reason, this has not left me since we, since we had that show. And then when I went to Dallas, it just really kind of hit me. And I just, I want everybody who is listening, because that's something that we can all do, whether you're on whether you're on the side of a person who has experienced loss if you are a person who is fortunate enough to have your family with you you know hug the people that are around you let them know that you care and then for people that you don't know just say something encouraging or check on people around you um because this is a difficult time of year for a lot of folks and if you're one of those people who's having a difficult time just hang in there it gets better um, but the only way that it doesn't get better is if you're not around. So um, I just wanted to say that. And um, that's. I'm glad you did. Nicely said. Well, thank you. It's just I, I think that sometimes it's really easy to become overwhelmed. And we're getting ready to start talking about the C word. Um, and and there's there's so many wonderful experiences that people who have survived or from people who are fighting and and the ways that they have taken something that sounds like an insurmountable um, obstacle and how they are making very small but significant strides towards happiness and health and and overcoming every day. Um, And so I just, I don't know, I think I'm about to start rambling. But um, I think that that might be the way that this is tied in. And it's not just about, it's not just about cancer. It's not just about loss. Um, But I just wanted to take time for those people um, who might not necessarily be jumping up and down and feeling holly jolly ho-ho and say that if you are one of those folks that you're not alone and you're not by yourself, and a lot of people feel that way, um, and there's nothing wrong with you for feeling that way, but please talk to somebody, reach out get help. And for those of you who do feel great, share some of that love and joy and happiness and don't wait for somebody to tap you on the shoulder to tell you that they're hurting. Because sometimes you don't have to, they don't have to tell you for you to know. Good. Very good. And our, all of our thoughts are with those out there who are going through a tough time, especially this time of year. You're right. It's, it, it is very, especially hard. All right. Take a breath. Everybody take a breath. <laughs> Now, Joe Pressler. Dr. Joe Pressler is here. He's a pulmonologist. We're we even talking got Joe about, with that. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm going to have to collect myself now. <laughs> talking about lung cancer today, but let's get back, you know, let's get back on a happy tag. Like lung cancer. <laughs> Dr. Joe Pressler, tell us about yourself, please. Okay. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. 
Seriously, I do have Michelle. That was beautiful, and and I appreciate you saying all Thank that. I appreciate what you do because you help people through some very difficult times in their lives and some very difficult things. Well, and the irony is that they help me as well, um, and and I think that's you know to to kind of go along with what you're saying. A, a lot of it is perspective, and you have to have the right perspective. Um, but but people who are hurting, like you're talking about. Um, can sometimes make the most profound impact on the people around them. Um, it kind of brings you, uh, it, it humanizes everything and brings you back into reality. And I, so I know people uh, clearly who have had advanced stage lung cancers, and um, there are those that are struggling with it, and there are those that don't let it affect them. Um, and it's it. It, there's nothing wrong with with um, with that being a hard, difficult time. That's normal. That's yeah. natural. But but the perspective of of some of the uh, some of the patients that I've had uh, that have stayed positive through the whole thing and and have a good um, uh, a good idea of what they want their outcome to be. Because it's about the person, not the. It's about the person, not the illness, and not just the person, but the family. Uh, and, and those are the people that I've seen that have gotten through this so well. Um, you know, a major I won't say a majority of the time, a, a large portion of the time, um, cancer is fatal, and lung cancer especially is uh, a very deadly disease, as we've just said. And, um, you know, sometimes you have to have the right goals. And is the goal to beat the disease? Sometimes maybe it is, and sometimes it isn't. And sometimes we have to reorganize our, our end goals. Um, but how you carry yourself through that is is huge, um, not just for you, not just for your family member, but for those around you. Uh, it, it can be, as a patient, it can be so uplifting for a doctor, even though we're supposed to be the ones providing the support and the treatment. Um, but, but I can't tell you how many times patients have brought me encouragement and, um, and joy by how they attack their disease. I don't think they know how much, how, how much we enjoy them, you know, and even when it's difficult stuff, how we very, I don't know, it's, it almost, you almost feel guilty sometimes because when somebody walks out of the door and they have made what they've been able to give to you. Yes. Um, that, that lesson, that gift, that encouragement, um, when you see someone in, in difficult times, or even when it's not something difficult, but just by something very kind that they say, or the way that they have chosen to live that perspective that can be very motivational, even for us. Um, I think sometimes patients forget how much they actually give to us as we're gonna, well we're going to take our first break and mm-hmm. regroup a little bit talk about joe coming and up next talking about <laughs> dr pressler and then talking about unfortunately or fortunately because we have good information lung cancer so if you'd like to call in with a question or comment the number is one eight seven seven mpb ring one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four or an email uh, address women at mpbonline.org. You're listening to Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio.
From the Capitol steps to your front door, MPB News covers the state like no one else. Our team of award-winning journalists keeps you informed on the news affecting your life. MPB News, online at mpbonline.org and on MPB Think Radio. Director Pablo Larraín has two new movies, one about First Lady Jackie Kennedy and one about Pablo Neruda, the leftist Chilean poet. What happens behind those walls in the White House or behind those walls in Neruda's house, nobody will ever know that. I'm Robert Siegel, imagining the private lives of two 20th century icons, later on All Things Considered from NPR News. Today at 4 on NPB Think Radio. Hi, this is Grassroots host Bill Ellison. You know, after more than 20 years, you'd think I might have run out of Bill Monroe and Doc Watson songs to play. Well, not so. The bluegrass acoustic and folk music scene is vibrant with new names like Sarah Jarose and the Punch Brothers. There are always new stories from Guy Clark and Ramblin' Jack, and legendary bluegrassers Ralph Stanley and Del McCurry are still high and lonesome. And besides, I still find a song from Bill and Doc I've never played. Join me Saturday night at 8 for Grassroots on MPB Think Radio. News you can trust in radio built around you. Mississippi Public Broadcasting. You're listening to Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. We're glad to take your calls at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email your comments and questions to women at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Welcome back to Southern Remedy for Women. I'm Karen Brown. Dr. Michelle Owens is here. Dr. Allie Brown is here. And our special guest, Dr. Joe Pressler. He is a pulmonologist at UMMC. So, Dr. Pressler, you have the stage. Tell us about yourself. Good morning. Let's take two. Let's try this again. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, my name is Joe Pressler. Uh, I have uh, spent my entire medical career here in, in Jackson, trained uh, for medical school, residency, uh, fellowship. A uh, good, I guess, 10 years of training here, and then I've been on faculty here uh, in pulmonary critical care for uh, six years, in, in my sixth year here at, uh, at University Medical Center. Are you a Mississippi boy? I, I was born in Texas, but I pretty much grew up from the age about five uh, down the Southwest. Where did you go to high school? And, um, Macomb High School. Okay. So, you yeah. so yeah, you're the Green and Gold Tigers. Enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm a Mississippi boy. I, I claim it. Uh, there's no doubt. Why wouldn't you? Indeed. Um, so uh, over the six years that, that I started on faculty, uh, have kind of uh, gravitated from general lung disease, general pulmonology, to uh, more of a focus on lung cancer and um, uh, early detection and um, treatment of patients. Let with me lung ask cancer. you right off the bat, what makes lung cancer the leading cancer killer? Good question. Um, great question, actually. So, um, you know, when I do um, little talks for residents uh, or people out in the community or, um, or you know, anybody that I talk to about lung cancer, I have slides that I like to put up. And, and those slides show, um, to me, the, the profound uh, nature of the fact that um, lung cancer deaths are so much higher than all the other cancers uh, that are detected. Um, and part of that, we believe, uh, is because of when we detect lung cancer in the first place. So most of the time, 
Unfortunately, right now, most of the time, lung cancer, if it's not detected incidentally just by um, somebody going, uh, having a, a car wreck and having some kind of trauma and then having imaging of their chest to look for broken bones and then all of a sudden there's a mass that's detected in their lungs. We get that a lot. Uh, but otherwise, if you if lung cancer is detected because of symptoms, then at that point it is at such an advanced stage that cure is extremely unlikely and um, treatment uh, for the most part is to control the disease but not to cure. And that's the problem is that it's not detectable by symptoms um, until it's so advanced. So what what we would like to do and what we're kind of working on right now is a screening program uh, to kind of copy what breast cancer has done with the mammograms, uh, cervical cancer with pap smears, any, any, um, uh, any, uh, we talk about PSAs or colonoscopies for GI cancers and, and prostate cancer. So basically any kind of screening where you take a patient who is asymptomatic, but may have risk factors for that cancer. And you look for that cancer at an early stage when uh, the cancer is much more treatable and uh, a much higher rate of cure. That's what we want to get towards. So, and I think we can probably talk a little bit more about this. I'm sure you probably are planning on it. But um, so I think most people, when they think about lung cancer, they think about smoking. But over 20% of women who have lung cancer have never even touched a cigarette. So, uh, as far so what kinds of things are risk factors for lung cancer so like who would be those people that you would try to target in your screening because what we do for pap smears is if you got a cervix then you get screened is that what you're working toward if you got two lungs or one lung or whatever lung you right that you're gonna so, get screened? Uh, that's a great point and so you know there in a screening program, and I can't speak towards pap smears and cervical, you know, I always make the joke that anything above the waist, I'll take care of. Anything below the waist is... We got that. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll send it to my partners. Um, but, uh, you know, you have to start somewhere, mm -hmm. and where we start is with the high-risk population. Gotcha. Um, and that 20% number that that you're talking about is is kind of newer and growing, and it's not the norm, is what I would say. Okay. Um, and what I think is, as you're seeing the numbers of smokers decline, because we are declining in, in our smoking rate, for sure. As you're seeing those numbers decline, then the percentage of the non-smokers that are developing cancer mm -hmm. are kind of maybe not catching up, but they're, they're, they're more notable. Um, but still, the overwhelming majority uh, are smokers. And uh, the statistic is that 90% of lung cancers can be directly attributable to smoking. And um, so at this point, we don't have the, the biggest risk factor for those uh, patients who are non-smokers is family history. Hmm. Uh, those uh, and, and those tend to be women, uh, as you say, too. Uh, a majority of your non-smokers that develop lung cancer are women and not men. And there is a genetic component there that is... That is definitely at play. We don't have a great uh, feel on it yet, but research all the time. So we're working towards that. So right now the focus is, because of the numbers, the focus is smoking cessation, um, 
don't start smoking. Let's get rid of tobacco products and get rid of that that ninety percent that you can do something about. And then those are the people that are that are the screening is focused Let on. Let me interject for a I second because we do have a phone call and Kay is calling in from Madison and I know your question is off topic, but that's okay. Go ahead, Kay. Hello, can you hear me, Kay? Hang on. Hang on. We're doing it. We're fixing it. Hello? Well, Kay, if you have an opportunity to call us back, we'd be happy to take your question. Oh, now we have another phone call. We're going to... So, yeah, Kay, please call us back. And now we're going to talk to Philip, who's calling from Jackson. Hi, Philip. I'm going to speak, you know, ask a question real quick about some upcoming technologies that I've heard some good things about lately. First off is nanorobotics and cybernetics. These things have been getting some pretty serious debate and advancement in the technology community in recent years. In fact, I believe it was just earlier this year that we had our first test of nanorobotics on a living being. I believe it was a surgery with a cat. And I was wondering, given the fact that cancer is a mutation within the genetics of the cell, how well would cybernetics and nanorobotics to treat lung cancer and other forms of cancer actually be? All right. Dr. Pressler, can you address that? Uh, no, ma'am. <laughs> you know, Dr. You know, Pressler and I, we were just talking about this a little while yeah, ago. Yeah, we, we were having coffee last night. You know, honestly, so, Philip, I, I, I don't. I don't know enough about uh, cybernetics to, 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 to comment on that, Michelle. You have something. Yeah, I just I so but it's interesting because you can hear the enthusiasm in Philip's voice about this. And and I think the concept of this like nanorobotics, which is actually it's a it's a relatively new technology field that actually talks about or utilizes these very small robots. Um, And so it's interesting. Um, I think there's probably a lot more that we need to understand about. Um, about the different types of cancers that exist and to see whether or not these applications might at some point be beneficial um, in in the uh, utilization uh, or treatment. Um, we we have macro robots, I guess, that we are utilizing um, with, through robotic surgery, et cetera, um, in other areas of medicine. And so it's possible. Now, the cybernetics piece, um, you know, and, and all of the things that are developing on the genetic side, which you kind of alluded to earlier, are very different. Um, and that field is continuing to grow. And I'm sure at some point there will be a place where they cross with the technology as well as the information that we do have that might be useful in targeting genetic contributors to cancer. But the the nanorobotics piece is still very much an emerging field. It'll be interesting to see how that ends up being applied to not just cancer treatment, but just medicine in general. That's one of the cool things about healthcare, about practicing medicine in whatever capacity is that you're learning throughout your entire lifetime. You know, that's one of our competencies, actually. Yeah. And one day, we will definitely look back on cancer treatment, and it might be our children or our grandchildren, and they will say, wow, they used to give this poison that poisoned these people their whole body, because that's classically what cytotoxic, or the when you think about chemotherapy, the, the usual type of chemotherapy, and they used to radiate them. You know, And I'm certain that one day in the future, 
it's going to look back like like we used to bleed people, you know, like that kind of thing in like that sort of vein. Your, but that's but you know that's what we have right now. That's what we have studied. This personalized medicine with these um, uh, drugs that act towards specific mutations is a, is a huge step. Uh, toward the future of cancer treatment, but uh, exactly, yeah. and and that's you know that is kind of the frontier, and I, and I don't know once again about the technology and the and the cybernetics, but um, but definitely the frontier of cancer treatment is this personalized uh, medicine where we we detect what the specific mutation is in the genes that is driving uh, the cancer and and act specifically on that because. As you said, the cytotoxic nature, chemo and radiation, what they do is they attack all cells. They attack all cells that are rapidly multiplying. And, you know, that's that's why any cells in your body that are rapidly multiplying, hair or the GI tract, that's why you get all the symptoms. So the, the more we can um, specifically attack just the mutation and not all cells that are growing. Well, Philip, I'm glad you called because I bet some of our listeners are looking up cybernetics right now as we speak. Yeah, so we appreciate your call. Awesome. Well, I'm telling you, I I get really excited about this concept. When we always talk about like um, patient-centered care and like this, but this concept of like having your medical therapy totally tailored to you as an individual. It's kind of like, I mean, it's like having a personalized T-shirt, right? You get the medicine that is just for you, that specifically addresses your particular type of disease or process. Um, and, you know, we change medicine doses, we change types of medications, and we try to do that. But technology is actually enabling us to be far more savvy and specific, mm-hmm. um, which is great because we all know that patients manifest the same disease in very different ways. Um, and so I think that's really exciting. That gets me excited. Okay, yeah. back to the phones we go. And Kay, thank you for calling back. Kay from Madison. Go ahead. Um, I have a non-lung um, cancer-related question. It's about um, pelvic organ prolapse, and what are some non-surgical treatment like remedies or therapies that um, one can do to improve their, like I guess, muscle strength um, instead of. Like, oh, this is Dr. Owens' favorite thing to talk about. Kay, did, oh, did Dr. Owens tell you to call today? No, tell, tell me the I truth. Baby, so no. <laughs> uh, well, she, she's hey, she's about to explode. Let's let her oh, go. I'm so excited. So um so okay. So I'm I'm actually glad that you asked that question. So there are, there are actually lots of non-surgical interventions that exist for pelvic organ prolapse. However, um it really depends on the type of prolapse that you have. So the thing that's best for you is going to be determined by whatever your examination is and the type of prolapse that you have and the degree of prolapse. So, but some of the fundamental or basic things that um, women can do to help improve their pelvic floor muscles. So it's kind of like exercise for your down there. And um, there, there are exercises that are called Kegel exercises. And that's where you can actually kind of, and there, so you can, first of all, do them without any additional materials. Um, but it's just a process of squeezing almost as if, if you think about if you were going to the restroom and you had to tinkle, I have little kids, so I use little kid words, but if you have to go to the bathroom to urinate, and if you were to try to stop your urine from flowing midstream, 
that same process of squeezing and tightening the muscles of your pelvis, if you can simulate that multiple times throughout the course of the day, those exercises will actually help to strengthen your pelvic floor. Now, the other thing that you said um, is about you having a baby. So just know that if you've had a baby in short order, like within the past few weeks, um, it's never too early to start doing those um, those exercises. But some degree of pelvic floor weakening and relaxation is going to occur as a result of pregnancy and the birth process. So that part of that's going to come. It's kind of like kind of like your tummy, right? So it, your tummy's going to eventually go back, but it might take a little extra work to get get it there. And that's kind of how it is with your pelvic musculature. So after having a baby, it, it's not as good as it was, but you'll be able to get it back. So the Kegel exercises are one thing. There are some other non-surgical methods, things called pessaries that can provide some support to either the vaginal wall or to the cervix. Um, Lots of other non-surgical interventions. Um, We have uh, pelvic floor physical therapists who can also help use um, non-surgical and behavioral methods to improve pelvic floor musculature and make sure that it gets a good workout. So um, all of those things are available to you. And what I would say is if you're having, are you, are you having symptoms or you just feel um, that there's like a, a weakening in that area? Well, I've, I've been diagnosed. I okay. have a um, appointment with the specialist. I've been doing the Kegel exercises and they have helped quite a bit. Um, you know that they have, do, are you using the little, the Benoit type balls that they have? Cause you know that they also have these vaginal weights that you I can use. That I've seen that in just looking around on the internet, but that seemed kind of weird. So I didn't know. If it was <laughs> well, I know it may sound weird, but actually it's, it's like strength training for your pelvic muscles. If you can think about how, if you wanted to improve the tone in your arms, how you would lift weights, you can uh-huh. actually, they're actually weights for your vagina and that can help to improve your pelvic musculature. So once you get really good at your Kegel exercises, you can expand on that by including these weights that can also help to increase it even further. All right, Kay, we thank you for your call. We have to go to a break because... Get ripped. What? Okay, (laughs) we're going to a break. If you have a call, we are talking about lung cancer today. If you have a call or comment... The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, or send an email to women at mpbonline.org. We'll be right back. Podcasts of your favorite MPB Think Radio programs are available now. With any podcast app, you can search, subscribe, and never miss a second of MPB Think Radio. Catch up on past episodes and hear any of the MPB programs you've missed on the MPB Public Radio app. 
Available on iTunes and Google Play. Listen live to MPB Think Radio and MPB Music Radio. Search MPB Public Radio. This is Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Hi, I'm Nina Totenberg. You can support the programs you love by donating that unwanted vehicle. It served you well over the years and can still get you around town, but let's face it, it's just taking up space. Donate it today. It could be worth hundreds of dollars to this station, and you could get a tax deduction. And thank you. Go to mpbonline.org and find the contribution link on our homepage. We appreciate your support of our programs. To listen to stories and shows, go to mpbonline.org. You're listening to Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. We're glad to take your calls at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email your comments and questions to women at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Southern Remedy for Women. I'm Karen Brown here with Dr. Michelle Owens, Dr. Allie Brown, and our special guest pulmonologist, Dr. Joe Pressler, talking about lung cancer today. We go back to the phones and say good morning to Frank calling in from Jackson. Go ahead, Frank. Hello, hello, hello. Um, I've been doing what well, been brought to my attention at this current cancer explosion epidemic and the epidemic related to autoimmune diseases are directly related to vaccines that were developed in the 50s and 60s. And uh, this is not a, it's not a secret in the scientific community, but it's been kept from the public. <clears throat> and with this new uh, burgeoning science of epigenetics, I guess it's about 50, 60 years old, where the DNA has not changed, but the DNA coil is wrapped around a, another piece of living tissue that turns on and off genes so that if your parents experience a famine, their progeny would have a propensity to hold on to weight. Okay, Frank, I'm going to stop you there and see if we can't uh, address that. Anybody have an answer about that or comment? Well, I guess I I, I don't know. I, I just was going to say what I didn't know what the actual question was related to that. And I don't know if it was related to whether or not there may be a link between vaccinations and cancer. Um, we do have vaccines that are helpful in prevention of diseases that are known to cause cancer. Um, and I think that, you know, vaccinations probably get um, have been under scrutiny quite a bit for the past um, few decades. Um, And there are questions. I think there's a lot of misinformation that is out there about um, vaccines and about um, the data, because I think there's the one that I think about is the link with autism, which we hear about all the time. And that data has since been um, basically recalled, so to speak, where um, People have uh, where the the actual investigator who did the study said, well, you know, it's not really linked to um, it's not linked to autism. And so I think the things that we knew before 
or thought we knew have been clarified. And um, just so that everybody knows, vaccine development is a very rigorous process that is um, that is very there's a lot of oversight that occurs in the process of vaccine development and vaccine testing before um, vaccines are made available to the public. And I kind of think of vaccines as being somewhat like a medication, so to speak, but it's prevention. Um, And just like medications have side effects, vaccines will also have side effects as well. Um, And so just because a person may experience a side effect um, doesn't necessarily mean that the vaccine itself is bad. Just like it doesn't mean that a medicine is bad when a person has a side effect. It just may mean that that particular um, medicine or that particular vaccine, for whatever reasons, had a bad they've had a bad reaction to it. But it doesn't necessarily mean that it's no good altogether. And that's not the same across the board for all individuals who would be exposed. So I think that um, that's kind of really all I, I, I feel in for yeah, now. That's all I had to say about there, that. <laughs> there's I think there's lots of points to to take out of what Frank's Frank was talking about, uh, whether it was his specific question or not. But you know, he he mentioned the explosion of cancers. I don't. I don't know that it's necessarily an explosion of cancers, but maybe um, more of a recognition of from the public of what cancers are out there. Uh, this this lung cancer epidemic did not just occur; it's been going on for for years and years and years. But the problem is, it hasn't been uh, publicized as much. And so, you know, your breast cancers and your colon cancers, uh, for some reason, for whatever reason, uh, they're publicized. You know, you as I like to say, you can't you can't watch a football game or a baseball game without seeing players wearing pink, right. which is great because recognition is being brought to that disease. Lung cancers just never really had that. Well, and I think the other. Piece and we talked. We've talked a lot today about technology, and I think the other piece is our ability to de- to detect cancer and to screen for cancers. Our understandings of these diseases have exploded. If you think he mentioned the fifties and sixties, I mean CT scannings. I mean, think about what a computer looked like in nineteen sixty. It took wanted, up a whole building. He wanted to know specifically about. Right about systems. yeah, I was I was going to get okay. to that, but um, so what? It, but I think that the detection piece is also so the concept of this explosion is really more about our enhanced ability to pick up these things, and then also information is far more readily available and more easily accessed now than it has been in the past you know few decades. I mean, no longer who has a, who has a set of encyclopedias? Who's bought the last when was the last encyclopedia I just put out? I, I, and I will tell you that just just because it it touches my heart, my son went to his school library and checked out the A Start at the beginning. <laughs> but the question um, that was being asked by Frank is just what is being done to really fortify the immune system? And I think um, it is it makes a lot of sense to think about because cancer cells start as us. They, I mean, it it's it comes from us. So something inside of us gets turned on or changed in a way, whether it's by something external or something internal to the actual cells um, that makes that happen. So the concept about immunity gets very, it's very difficult because the body is programmed to recognize itself and cancer cells look like 
us because they are us. Correct. And so that's a challenge. It, it's a big challenge. So that is the new frontier. You know, we were just talking about the nanogenetics and all, but but that is the new frontier. Is uh, the new medications that are um, that are focusing on uh, the autoimmune or the immune system and how it helps to uh, detect specifically cancer cells and and uh, focus and treat those cancer cells and not the rest of the body that come that goes right along with um, you're you're speaking about the vaccines too is every medication every drug that we have it has uh, it has side effects and I think the side effect profile is not completely clear for these autoimmune uh, chemotherapies so to speak to this point and there there is some concern even though uh, they have shown, for specific cancers to to work very well, there's also the concern of, of what is the long term effect on the rest of the body that we don't quite know yet. I want one more one more point, if I can make it real quick. Um, the the idea of the explosion of of cancers and the vaccines, uh, the kind of the timing behind that. What I would also like to do is point out the timeline of um, of cigarette smoking and lung cancers, and in so beginning in the early world wars, uh, that is when cigarette use, tobacco use exploded and started and exploded and continued to rise until 19, uh, early 1960s, 1962, 1964, when the Surgeon General first put a warning mm-hmm. on uh, cigarette packages. That's right. And you can see uh, the epidemiology of lung cancer absolutely completely correlates directly with cigarette use. Uh, we have never put in a test tube tobacco and carcinogens with lung can- or lung cells and seen that this develops into lung cancer. Mm-hmm. That's not how we that's that's not how we prove that cigarettes cause lung cancer. But it's the epidemiology of uh, how many people have smoked and how many people develop lung cancers, and the curves are identical. And as the and, and it's also about a twenty to thirty year lag. So what you're seeing is that explosion of lung cancers happened about 20 to 30 years after um, the peak of cigarette use, which was in the 1960s. So 1980s, 1990s is when you see the peak of cancer deaths from lung cancer, and those have started to tail off as cigarette use has tailed off as well. Awesome. We're about to pay the bills, aren't we? We need to take a break. Our last break of the hour, but you still have a little bit of time to call in. If you have a question, the number is one eight seven seven mpb ring one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four or or email women at mpbonline.org. We'll be right back on Southern Remedy for Women.
home for the arts and music is MPB Music Radio. From classical to bluegrass and everything in between, MPB Music Radio has a sound for every ear. For information on where to find MPB Music Radio, visit mpbonline.org. Hi, this is Grassroots host Bill Ellison. You know, after more than 20 years, you'd think I might have run out of Bill Monroe and Doc Watson songs to play. Well, not so. The bluegrass, acoustic, and folk music scene is vibrant with new names like Sarah Jarose and the Punch Brothers. There are always new stories from Guy Clark and Ramblin' Jack, and legendary bluegrassers Ralph Stanley and Del McCurry are still high and lonesome. And besides, I still find a song from Bill and Doc I've never played. Join me Saturday night at 8 for Grassroots on MPB Think Radio. The end of the year is the perfect time to get rid of that old car that's been taking up space in your driveway or garage. Why not let someone else sell that car for you while you simultaneously contribute to MPB? Donations received by 12 a.m. local time on January 1st count for the 2016 tax year. Wrap up your year in the spirit of holiday giving and receive a tax deduction for your vehicle donation to MPB. To donate or learn more, go to mpbonline.org. To listen to stories and shows, go to mpbonline.org. You're listening to Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. We're glad to take your calls at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email your comments and questions to women at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. We are back on our last segment of Southern Remedy for Women. I'm Karen Brown. See, I'm trying to push through. I don't want to miss a moment of this. Dr. Joe Pressler is here. We're talking about lung cancer, and the reason we want to get back to this immediately is you were talking about screening earlier, and we don't want to miss out on the importance of this and, and what it is exactly and who should be screened. Sure, and so what we had talked about earlier is uh, – Smoking, of course, is not the um, – there are non-smokers that develop lung cancer, but what we want to do is catch uh, – throw the, the the net out there and catch the biggest um, group of people that would be most susceptible because we can't catch everybody right now with what we know. And so uh, the recommendations uh, – and these are based on um, clinical studies – that have gone on over the past years. But uh, the recommendations right now are that any patients uh, between the age ages of 55 and 77 who have uh, a 30-pack year smoking history, and what that means is if you smoke a pack a day for a year, that's a pack year. Smoke a pack a day for 30 years, that's 30 pack years. Smoke two packs a day for 15 years, that's 30 pack years, or three packs a day for 10 years. Correct. You know Correct. And that's exactly how it works. So the more you smoke, uh, it, it's both an amount and a length of time, uh, but 30 pack years. And anybody that has um, that has not stopped smoking within the past 15 years, so say you quit smoking, but it was 10 years ago, you're still in, in this category. Okay. And that does, still does not catch everybody. Granted, you've you've got your patients that were never smokers that that had the possibility of, uh, but the, that's just such a low number uh, that that's not the focus. Um, and then there are there are still patients who have uh, I diagnosed one this week that uh, quit smoking forty years ago. Um, but you're talking about a seventy eight year old man who he may have quit forty years ago, but he still had that large thirty. 40-pack year smoking history. So smoking is the cause of his lung cancer? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, He's just saying it's cumulative. I mean, it's it's hard for you to get away from it It once you started 
doing that to your body. So it's, a, I think, a good motivation for people who are thinking about things to let go of in the new year. Uh, what, a, what a great time for a new year's resolution. Um, and so so the idea is that you have, uh, we call them a Lodo CT. And so basically it's a it's a regular chest CT uh, that, that anybody would get if they're getting a, a CAT scan of their chest to look at what's going on in their in their lungs or in their chest. And it's just a lower dose of radiation that we give for, for a normal CT. Um, and uh, the idea is that you get this annually. So once a year you go in just like, uh, I, I honestly don't know the recommendations for mammograms now or, or pap smears, but, uh, the, the recommendations for this are an annual screening or an annual CT, um, to, to look and make sure that nothing is, is sprouting. Um, what if you live in a home with a smoker? You're exposed secondhand, to second hand smoke. Second hand smoke is absolutely, um, you know, the the number is not necessarily equal, but is absolutely a risk factor. So people involved, same people, kind of um, pack. If you're if you're with a pack a day smoker for years and years, you ex, I would extrapolate that. That's that's where the the lines are fuzzy, and that's not exactly what the recommendations are. But you know, that's where you, being a doctor, you have to just kind of uh, you got to figure out where you can get around certain uh, insurance recommendations. But so let's talk about that as far as insurance, uh, and that's the beauty of this is because of the studies and and the committees that this has gone through. Uh, CMS, the committee for uh, or the Center for Medic- Medicaid and Medicare Services, has uh, has put out these recommendations and agreed to um, to support and pay for these annual screenings, and that has led to the insurance companies kind of following suit. So most insurance companies and Medicaid and Medicare will, will uh, pay for this annual screening if the patient meets those recommendations. The other side of it is you don't have to meet those requirements. Uh, you don't have to have a 30-pack year smoking history or, you know, be in that age group. If you are concerned about it and, and you want it, then talk to your doctor, and uh, it, it will not necessarily be paid for uh, by insurance. But, you know, the idea to me also is that there's continued awareness of the problem, um, and that awareness extends not just to CT screening but smoking, smoking cessation. If that test finds something, you use the word sprouting, would you treat it the same way as if it were cancer, full-blown cancer? Well, you would diagnose it. So all that is, it's a screening test to say that we see something that is concerning. And then once you see that concern, you have to have tissue to diagnose it. Uh, and we would go a uh, number of different ways that we can go about getting tissue uh, uh, biopsies to, to prove that it is cancer or prove that it's not cancer. Um, the idea, though, is that we catch it as one little spot that's concerning for cancer, and then we diagnose it. And when it's that one little spot, we can cut it out. And surgical treatment is your best treatment at this point. Um, and you don't have to have the systemic chemotherapy and radiation therapy that is more toxic to the body. Um, and uh, so once again, the idea is that we, we can find it before you have symptoms, before it's metastatic and widespread and causing chest pain or causing cough or causing weight loss. Um, well, all that's these really good news. In. That's really good news. And it's I hope very encouraging. Attention. Dr. Joe Pressler, thank you so much for coming in today. Southern Remedy for Women is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio. It is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and by generous support from the members of the Foundation for Public Broadcasting in Mississippi. Today's show was engineered by Sam Wells, our call screener, Jason Klein. For Dr. Michelle Owens, I'm Karen Brown. Join us next Friday at 11 for Southern Remedy for Women. And stay tuned. NPR's Here and Now is next 
on MPB Think Radio. Underwritten by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Mississippi. Live healthy. Live blue. It's good to be blue.